Are the keys to being a great teacher the same as the keys to being a great principal? And are those keys the same for being a great assistant principal? We will unlock the answers to those questions today with a very special guest. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day we have a chance to grow. Every day we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Dr. Todd Whitaker is the author of 60 books, including What Great Teachers Do Differently, Leading School Change, and Shifting the Monkey. He's a keynote speaker on motivation, leadership, and influence. And on top of all of that, he helps prepare new leaders as a professor at the University of Missouri. Todd Whitaker, welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Very exciting. When I started this podcast back, I think in August 2021, I was thinking about who would I want to have on the show that I think would would be symbolic to me and meaningful that, wow, we, we really have a successful show going and you were on that list. So this is a really exciting interview and I'm so glad to have you here. Well, thank you. I'm glad to make the list. I realized I probably wasn't first and the others weren't available, but one way or the other. <laughs> I wasn't my wife's first choice either, so I'm glad to be with you today. <laughs> we always like to start with celebrations. What are you celebrating today? Um, well, I just got back from England. One of my sons, uh, my son is getting his doctorate over at Cambridge, and um, he's doing great there, and so that's awesome. It's a perfect fit for him, and and he was kind enough. He uh he does all sorts of university challenge and quiz bowl stuff and all that kind of thing. And he was kind enough to let me come to his trivia night. And he said, if I came, he'd ask easier questions. And, and he lied. But anyhow, um, uh, he put me on a team with uh, four other doctoral students from Cambridge. And if you have four doctoral students from Cambridge on your team, you got a pretty good shot. Right. So, yeah, but it was it was great. He's doing great. So uh, I've been celebrating that for the last month ever since we got back. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Is there a story that would help listeners understand why you do what you do? Um, what exactly do I do that you're wanting me to give a story about? I don't know. <laughs> what What fuels your passion? What drives your work? Um, truly education. It, it really is. I, I was a uh, business major in college and got in law school. And I happened to be dating a girl whose dad was a high school basketball coach, third winningest coach in Missouri high school history. And whose mom was an educator. And I just got to see the impact they had on so many people. And I thought, that's what I want to do. That's who I want as my peer group as educators. Um, that's what I want to uh, spend my life doing. And I am blessed to have a chance to do it. And I, uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is that I don't know whether educators call me this, but I call all educators my peers. And it, it's kind of funny because uh, I, I speak and write books and this kind of stuff. And um, 
it's always interesting because of a group of people like myself to get to get together. I talk about education. They talk about flying first class. <laughs> and that, that's that's great. That's just not the way I view the world. I, I don't see that as my peer group. I hope I see educators as my peer group. And and um, that's kind of that kind of drives what I do. I love that. And I appreciate it. I was K-12 for 17 years, but then 13 years in higher ed. And I I just could never refer to the people in my classes as students. And I always use the word colleagues because we're all educators. We're just, you know, kind of on diff took different paths in that. But but I appreciate your sentiments because we all are educators. And the more we remember that we're all in this together, I think the stronger we'll be. Yeah. And it, and I want the world to see we're in it together. Right now, I think educators see we're in it together, but I'm not sure the world sees that we're in it together. And that's uh, that's part of my uh, uh, aim also. There yeah. aren't a lot of people who are fighting for educators right now. And I hope in some way I can uh, provide that internally and externally. I wish that people knew what educators did when everything shut down in uh 2020. It was remarkable. I live in a very rural area, rural Appalachia, and the things that teachers and school leaders did to step up and fill the gap in services and support for kids was was remarkable. And that's a story that did not get enough attention. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is if you look at the most recent Gallup poll, which came out, I believe, in September, and they look at how do you rate your local schools? I believe in 37 years, this is the largest increase people have ever had on how they rate their local schools because I think they are aware of it. it. The demonization is more schools in general than local schools. And so actually how people view schools in general fell because of nonsensical things people say, but how they view their local schools went up because they know what their schools have done. It's funny, I heard somebody say the other day, they listed first responders and on their list was teachers. Wow. And if you think about it, they were working and fighting the good fight every day. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it's interesting. Somebody the other day said anybody could teach. And I said, well, you got your crack during the pandemic. How'd that work out? <laughs> and so we realized we can't. It's really hard. It's, it's incredibly important. It's so significant because during the pandemic, not only did math scores fall, language arts scores fall, student behavior fell. Mm. Ability to work together fell. Socialization fell because we need schools. We need them terribly. And I think if nothing else, the pandemic showed us irrefutably the contribution schools make. And I want educators to take that with a point of pride because there's people who are trying to take that point of pride away from them. And I think that's a mistake. Irrefutably, educators make a difference. And we have no question truth about the, the pandemic showed us that. It showed us that, and the educators were amazing. They're amazing anyhow, before and after, but then that was uh, on display every day, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so your two biggest books, I think that you're best known for is uh, What Great Teachers Do Differently and What Great Principals Do Differently. This is the Assistant Principal Podcast, so I think maybe we should finish the series. Oh. Well, I think I finished it. You ju I just have to uh, insert the word assistant in front of principal and, and put assistant principal in front of teacher. You know, it's funny, I'm, I'm writing a book, uh, uh, What Great Parents Do Differently, and people ask me a lot, is it out yet? Is it done? And I said, it's been out for years. I just called it. You know, it's really funny. 
all my books are about life. I just pretend they're about education. Or I hope they're about life. I just pretend they're about education. So um, uh, the uh, assistant principal's role and principal's role are not 100% overlapping, but they sure parallel each other. And what makes people good between a great teacher, a great assistant principal, and a great principal literally has 98% overlap. Right. To be successful, so, it's the same skill at all. It's the same skill set for all of them. Yeah. Uh, do you want to break some of that down for us? Because I, I know that the struggle for assistant principals is staying people focused instead of task focused, because there's all that urgent stuff. They're continually being pulled to put out fires and take care of these, this and that. And it seems it, it gets really easy to focus on the checklist and not the people. And I think that's one of the the big things that you talk about in your work is that power of relationships. So what, what can assistant principals do to stay grounded and to keep people at the front? You know, it's interesting. One of the things we have to do whenever we choose people to go into administration, we have to hire incredibly successful teachers because they fight the same battle. Think about the emphasis on standardized test scores is about checklist is about tasks. It's about this. And the great teachers somehow or another continue to focus on people while they're doing that. And the, the, the great principal, I mean, is constantly bombarded with tasks and checklists and obligations and, and these forms and this paperwork, but somehow or another, the exceptional ones still are able to have people as their core. So I agree that the roles are different, but the skills that make them successful are the same in all of them. And I think one of the things that is, is a challenge is we have to make our decisions based on the best people, based on the people who are doing the right thing. We can't punish people for being good. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that sometimes uh, administrators have. You know, it's funny. I was just telling a group this the other day that when a student gets sent to the office, at the point they're sent to the office, they're actually the least important student in the school at that moment. That doesn't mean you're ever going to be raped, be little, or anything. But at that moment, they're they're prevent they're not learning, and they're working to prevent everyone else from learning. My last school had 1,350 middle school kids. I had to teach my two assistants. The student who gets sent to the office is actually the least important student in the school at that moment. The most important kids are the 1,349 that are on task, that are doing the right thing, that are learning, that are continuing to learn. That doesn't mean I'm not going to deal with that kid in a professional and respectful manner and try to pull them back in. But why on earth do I race out of classes when I could reinforce people for doing right to deal with the one doing wrong? The other thing is, and I really mean this, nobody defends teachers like me. Nobody, nobody defends teachers like me. I do workshops for principals to understand how to defend teachers, but I'm just not in a hurry. And the reason I'm not in a hurry to deal with the student in the office is because for the most part, we don't have a teacher in the school in a hurry to get them back. And if the secretary is any good, if the office receptionist is any good, they can deal with two dysfunctional kids many times better than the worst teacher in the school can deal with two dysfunctional kids. And as a principal, I make every decision based on my best teachers. And I want everyone to make their decisions based on the people who are doing the most contributing and the role with students then who struggle are to try to get them to be contributing members. And that's so important. There, it's not belittling or, or being disrespectful. It's actually being respectful. And 
if I give you attention for misbehaving and don't give you attention for behaving and you want attention, what's your only path? And it's, and it's the same way with adults as it is with students. And, and I think that's an important focus to have. And that's not belittling students that struggle socially and emotionally because you gotta work on that. But I don't sacrifice everyone else because those other people are important too. I, I love what you said about having the secretary and front office staff that probably can handle the kids fine. And, and I think that's part of what strategic leaders do is they, they build those systems and they set up things that are in place so that they can stay in working with teachers. They can stay focusing on those relationships and focusing on, on building, supporting and growing the grownups. Right. Um, you have two ways to improve your school, hire better teachers and improve the ones you have. And everything else you do is literally just chasing your tail. And I can't improve people's performance from the office. I have to be in classrooms and I have to be in classrooms on a regular basis. And my assistant principals have to be in classrooms on a regular basis too, because both of us are working to improve the teachers. And what happens is as our teachers improve, there's less reactionary things we have to deal with in the office. But if I don't improve them, I'm dealing with the same things over and over and over and over. And, um, and, and I, I'm a little different than other people. I don't try to resolve a problem. I try to change people's behavior. And most people try to resolve a problem. But if mm -hmm. I just resolve the problem, there'll be another problem. If I change your behavior, potentially there won't be another problem, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Sure. Um, when I deal with a, a parent that's overmatched, I have to build the skills of the parent or they're always going to be overmatched. And when I have a teacher that's doing making inappropriate choices, I have to get them to make better choices or else I'm reacting to the same thing. I'm defending the same thing. And it, it's, it's thinking of it that way. Um, and if we don't think that way, then we're caught in a rabbit hole. We're caught reacting to everything all the time. And I have learned, it's really interesting. If we teach our teachers, they really do get better. Hmm. But if we tell our teachers, they don't get any better. It's just like test scores. Hey, do you know anyone who's ever been told to raise their test scores? Okay. Almost <laughs> everybody has. And you know what I always tell them? You ever been holding back on that? Hmm. I, I just wonder, have, have they been holding back on the test scores? But the reason I tell you to raise your test scores instead of teaching you is because I don't know how. And once I teach you how to do something better, it's amazing how many people do something better. And if you ever question it, just think of classroom management. Classroom management is selfish. If any of us could get the students to behave better, we'd get the students to behave better because it benefits us. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have children, if you could get your own children to behave better, you'd get your children to behave better and I know you love them, but it also benefits you. And what happens is we tell people to manage their class. We don't teach them how. And we have to be so intricate in teaching people how to do things correctly that they now know how to do things correctly. You know, the first thing we have to sort out with people at any level, anywhere, is are they ignorant or insubordinate? And we almost always think they're insubordinate and they're almost always ignorant. Yeah. And ignorant <laughs> doesn't mean they're unintelligent. Ignorant means they're unaware of how to do it better. A teacher who is not managing their class successfully, I guarantee you, 
is unaware of how to improve or they would be working to improve because it'd make their life so much better. And a principal who can teach their teachers how to get better is teaching their teachers how to get better because then their job gets better. How and my think sister, principal and I are inseparable in terms of that. Both of us have to have that skill because there's only, you know, there's so many hours in the day and so many different things that we do. Excuse yeah. me. I, I, I think that teaching point is just so, so critical. And I know I've, I talked to assistant principals, principals, and, and, you know, they've got a low performing teacher and the teacher's struggling with classroom management. And we say, okay, well, what have you done? Well, you know, I gave them these suggestions. I, I talked to them about, they should have an opening activity and they should have procedures for this, but invariably most of the time they, they made those suggestions but they didn't teach the teacher how to do it. And I think sometimes we we think that by suggesting we're helping and sometimes we're afraid to be as directive as we should. And that directiveness doesn't need to be mean, but if a teacher is struggling with classroom management, like you said, it's not because they're because they don't want it, right? right? So coming in and saying, hey, this is this is what we need to do. Let me show you how this is done. Let me help you implement these and get these going so that you learn how you can do that yourself, as opposed to just the suggestion. Yeah, and I actually think um, once I teach you how, now I know you know how. But I think it's also how we teach people. Because, see, I also have to teach my bus drivers. I have to teach my custodians. I have to teach food service. I have to teach everybody how to deal with, you know, it's really funny. When I become principal of a school, I have to teach my secretary how I want them to answer the phone, but I have to teach them before they answer the phone. Because it's the difference between establishing expectations and correcting behaviors. And what's amazing is the better the people are, the more they want to know what the rules of the game are. But you want to know them in advance. And so often, you know, for example, if I've read any of my books, one of the first things I lay out with that, my first faculty meeting of the year every year is we don't argue, we don't yell, we don't use sarcasm. And I mean, we never use, argue, we never yell, we never use sarcasm. And I have to teach my teachers this. I have to teach them alternatives. I have to teach them what this does when we do this. And I have to make sure I don't do it. But what happens is if we don't teach people this and all of a sudden in November, I go and talk to somebody about yelling, they feel like I'm changing the rules in the middle of the game. And it's because I am changing the rules in the middle of the game. But I think it's also making suggestions in different ways. Rather than saying, do you know something you should try? Because if I say, do you know something you should try to a teacher? What they hear is, and what they should hear is, do you know something you're too stupid to think of yourself? And you need someone superior to you to come up with suggestions. The best way to influence people is equal with them or below them. So I would go to someone and I'd go, I'd go, do you know something I saw somebody do the other day? You teachers are amazing. How do you do this? You know what I saw a teacher do? It was incredible. I saw a teacher do this. I had never thought about that. How do you come up with this? Do you see how either they're smarter than me or at the very least we're learning together? But most of the time, instead it's, do you know something you should try? I have a suggestion for you. This is something you should do. I don't know if it's that's directive, but it's insulting. Right, right. It's, it's insulting, in my opinion. When I, th I think 
to a certain extent, it's ingrained in a lot of leaders that we're we're the leader, we're supposed to have the answers. And sometimes we feel if we don't have the answers, then there's something wrong with our leadership. So do you think there's pressure on principals, assistant principals, instructional coaches to be able to go into a classroom and say, ah, here's, here's the problem. But if we if we show a teaching video to 10 assistant principals and say what should this teacher work on you're going to get five different answers which tells me that we really we don't know or there is no single thing that that teacher really has to work on there are a number of things because we know teaching is complex and so where can we start maybe one place we can start is what the teacher wants to improve on, right? What's the pain point for the teacher? Where do they want to get better that they feel that will make a difference in their classroom? Sure. I think that's where you always start. And assuming that they have the ability to somewhat accurately self-reflect seems like a great place to start because it's a point of least resistance. And, you know, if we've gone from zero to 10, the hardest one, to, the hardest movement is zero to one. Mm. And so... And, and the learning curve is so sharp. You know, if somebody's doing something incorrect every day and they just go to doing it incorrect a third of the time, that's a huge stride, you know, and it reinforces because if I do something and it works, I'm so much more likely to do it again. Right, right. And so it's just helping people learn and do things that work. And then once they, once they try them and work, it's amazing. See, one of the things we do is we try to change beliefs and we need to change behaviors. Because if your behaviors change and it works, you've changed your beliefs. And that, I think that you're talking about that concept of successive approximation, where anytime we get closer to the ideal performance, that's that's improvement. And, and that's a challenge because sometimes you know, teachers want that student to be quiet. The student is shouting out 50 times a day. It's hard sometimes to recognize if they only shout out 30 times, that's a win. That's a big improvement. Right. We're in the improvement business, not the perfection business. And it's, I think the other thing that's hard is, is that teaching's hard. I mean, it's really hard. And we're recording this on March 1st, and I don't know when you're playing it, and you can change the date if you want to, whatever, is that we're whipped this time of year. We are worn out. And so if a student is better now, maybe our patience, tolerance, and acceptance is smaller now as humans. And I think that also come, weighs into that to some degree, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, that's a great point. I'd like to follow that up because we, we will release this fairly soon. And so we are in that, that spring period where everybody's getting tired. So I'm an assistant principal, I'm in my school, I want to continue to help my teachers grow, but I also know my teachers are getting tired. So what's the key to me recognizing that and still helping them grow, but also recognizing that legitimately there's there's fatigue? I think there's a couple of things, and, and I used to be a basketball coach, and if you think of it this way, sometimes I need to build their skills. Sometimes I need to build their effort. Sometimes I need to build their confidence. And all of those things interact with each other. It isn't like it's just one or the other. And I think part of what we do is we have to help teachers have confidence. Confidence is the most valuable gift we can give. And when you have confidence, you also have more effort. And if you have more effort and you have more confidence, the skills you're doing, you're probably also just doing them better. You're being more patient. You're being more tolerant. 
So what I have to do is I have to make people feel important every day. I have to make people feel valued every day. And what happens is when we don't do it, maybe we can still get through September because people had a full, you know, closer to a full tank and that kind of stuff. But what happens is all of a sudden then in February, we don't have it anymore. And if as the leaders are not providing that support, that guidance, that direction, that making people feel valued, we're worn out. I think that's one of the things the pandemic did and revealed. It revealed poor leaders. It revealed people that struggle with, because what happened is all of a sudden we're coming to work and I'm, I'm making up numbers. I don't have any statistics for this, but we're coming to work at 85% when we used to come to work at 100%. And it could be because during the pandemic, we're worried about our family. We're worried about other people getting ill. We're worried about us getting ill. We're worried about whatever it is we're worried about. And I'm not even choosing sides on this whole thing. Not that I ever even think there are sides or were sides. But regardless, we come and, and we're less full tanked than we were. And I think that's what happens during the school year naturally. But see, if you started the year at 85%, then look at where you're at in February, because normally, if you, historically, if you started the year at 100%, in February is still difficult, regardless of that. So as a leader, I have to make people feel valued and significant all the time. Think about the best teachers. You know, the best teachers are worn out, but isn't it weird? Uh, what's the thing in a great teacher's classroom, every student thinks they're the favorite? Mm -hmm. And the great teacher filters out negativity from their class. They work to keep that out. They work to keep how they're feeling, their tiredness out to the degree they can. And it's not a false positive. Being the filter is not a false positive. And great leaders also have to do this. You know, if I go to central office and they're ripping me about test scores or, or they're whatever, and I come back and teachers go, how's your day going? I go, great, how are you? Because it doesn't help them to hear my problems because they have enough problems. And the other thing is I'm in classrooms and I always say, look for the good parts. Sometimes you have to squint. So I would make sure, I would make it a point to be in classrooms every single day, remind and stroke and value people when I could. But in addition, I even had my calendar and one day a week, I'd put a little asterisk because I'm going to go in classrooms and I even have classrooms like visit sixth grade wing, visit seventh grade wing, eighth grade wing, whatever, when I was a middle school principal. And one day a week, I'd put an asterisk and that day I would take a notepad into the uh, classes with me that I visited that day and I'd write every teacher a positive note and I used to give them to my secretary and she would put them in the teacher's mailbox my wife would do it as an elementary principal but she would have post-it notes and put it on the the uh, door frame put it on the teacher's desk put it on there but I couldn't do it with middle school kids because I figured if it was a, a post-it note it'd end up on a kid's butt <laughs> <laughs> or back so, of the head. <laughs> and, and in addition, you have to have a Friday focus. Um, I think it's the single best leadership tool I ever used. I'm not a book salesman at all. I write books so people know what to do. I don't write books to sell books. Because I'm not offended if somebody buys a book, Xeroxes it and send it back. The publisher may not like it, but I'm not offended by that because I want you to have the knowledge. And my books are very specific. And the Friday focus, I'm always talking about how amazing the teachers are. I walked down the hall and I saw this. The other day I asked students what they like best. The other day in the cafeteria, I asked a group of students, what do you like best about your, our school? And they said, the way the teachers treat us. If I don't have a vehicle to share that with the teachers, it still means something to me, but it doesn't mean, it, it, it doesn't carry that special message to them. You know, every day we hear positive things about our teachers, our students, our school. That doesn't mean we don't hear negative things too. I'm, I'm not, I'm not 
unaware. But I have to have a vehicle to share those positive things because then otherwise they only affect me. And I've got to do that. And I've got to do that on a regular basis because that's what the best teachers do with the students. That's what I have to do with the teachers. And to talk about that Friday focus, exactly how you run that. Sure. It's a staff memo. And I hate to say that because everybody goes, I have one. No, you don't. You don't have one like this. Um, some people do. Some are better than mine, I'm sure, because they have nonverb agreement. But um, uh, uh, just think about this. One of the things I like my teachers to do at the start of the year, I talk about greeting kids. That's just greeting kids. I talk to the bus drivers about greeting kids. I talk to custodians about greeting kids. I talk to food service about greeting kids, secretaries about greeting kids, teaching assistants about greeting kids, just greeting kids. Well, at the start of the year, 95% of the people do it. The challenge is it doesn't stay at 95 very long. So I have to have a vehicle to remind people. Well, I don't want to remind people in a way that's offensive. So my let's say three weeks into the school year, I write this in my Friday focus. And it goes to all my teachers, cooks, custodians, all my employees, everyone at central office, the principals and the other schools, but it's for my teachers. And I write this in my Friday focus. Hey, gang, I need your help. Today, I screwed up. I was walking down the hallway and a teacher goes, I mean, a, a student goes, hi, Mr. Whitaker. And I realized I forgot to greet him. And one of the things that we talked about doing was greeting kids. And already I've messed up. So I need you all to be my conscious and keep an eye on me and make sure that I greet kids. And if I don't, please let me know. I appreciate your help because this is really important to me. And I want to make sure I greet the kids every day, all the time. Okay. Was, was that about me? <laughs> nope. But who's the only person that ever messes up? Yeah. Who's the, who, in my Friday focus, who's the only person that ever messes up? Yeah. Me. No yeah. one else ever messes up. Three weeks later, my Friday focus, and this isn't planned. I don't mean it like three weeks and this is laying out. This is an example I can share with the people who are part of the podcast. Three weeks later, I write, you all are incredible. Earlier this week, I'm walking down the hallway, teacher after teacher is smiling, greeting the kids, making them feel warm, making them feel special, making them feel valued, making them feel important. I don't know how you do it, but no wonder the students love coming to the school so much. And you need to know you all are also the reason I love coming to school this much. Does that ever get old? <laughs> not, not for the people reading it, no. Right. And it's, that's a way to remind people without reminding people. It, it's also my Friday focus is my belief system in front of my teachers. Because in every school, you have a few teachers in the teacher's lounge sharing their belief system in front of their teachers. And if they don't hear yours, they start to believe theirs. And my real drumbeat is how lucky we are, how blessed we are, how thankful we are, how fortunate we are. And what we're lucky, you know what we're lucky about? Our job makes a difference. That's what we're lucky about. It makes it harder, but it's more significant. I always say the best thing about being a teacher is it matters. The hardest thing about being a teacher is it matters every day. And I've got to treat you with respect and dignity every day because you have to treat the students with respect and dignity every day. And that's so, not a maximum, that's a minimum. Yeah, I, and I want to string this together because a lot of what you're saying, I think, is tightly connected. And I want to make sure that that listeners are seeing those connections. And I think you started with, 
look, we have to be the lighthouse. And and then shifted to another part of being the lighthouse is actually finding the light in others and amplifying that light. And then using something like the Friday Focus as that vehicle to amplify that light, but also to use very strategically about reinforcing what we want to see and and what people need to hear. And it reminds me of of the power of information. I think one of the the things that we need to remember is that uh, data tells a story, but the story it tells depends on how we frame the data, right? That's an incredible power that school leaders have to to think about what is the narrative that this data is going to tell. And when we're going around and we're seeing all these positive examples and these great things, those are data points. And so we can be really intentional about how we share the narrative and structure it as to what that data is saying and be strategic in that Friday focus so that that data is supporting the narrative that you want teachers to hear. So uh, it's just an incredible package of behaviors that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's what it is. It's really interesting. The Friday focus is only about the future. I just pretend it's about the past or present. You know, a quote. And if if you read, I my the there's two chapters on the Friday focus with examples. I mean, word for word examples. But I also explain, because sometimes I use people's names. Sometimes I don't use people's names. How come here I used one name? How come here I used three names? How come here I used no names? Because if you don't understand how to do it right, you're going to do it wrong. And then the vehicle you think is building up morale, supporting teacher uh, energy levels is actually taking it down because you do it wrong. Hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And so that's how come I'm so specific in teaching people. Now, a lot of people are way smarter than me. They don't need this. But maybe it's helpful to some at some different times. You know, it's really funny. This will sound really ridiculous. One, one, I always had a thought for the week. And sometimes they'd be silly things. Like I'm a St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan and the uh, Mike Shannon, who was an announcer for years and years and years, who just retired and had trouble with words and wordsmithing, but you got used to him. And I remember one of my first Friday focuses was he said, uh, I, you know, I'd give my right arm to be ambidextrous. And somehow or another, that was funny to me. So sometimes that's it. But sometimes it's things like, I remember we had open house night and my thought for the week was, your teachers are really nice. Overheard a mom talking at open house night. Your teachers are really nice. I overheard a mom talking to her daughter at open house night. Which teacher thinks I was talking about them? Mm. Mm. Hopefully all of them. Everybody who's nice. Yeah. Do you see what I value in my school? Do you have any question what I value in my school by that thought for the week? And how many of us have schools that have too much nice and it's just wearing us down? <laughs> I haven't been in by, one of those yet. By in, 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 in gray, in, uh, infusing this into our schools, we're at a better point in September and February. It's more significant in September and February. And many people do it in September and they don't do it in February. And, and I'm not choosing February any different than any other time because it's important in October and November and March and, and May. It's important all the time. I'm just sharing when we don't do it right, 
low points become almost destructive. It, it's that old thing a, a lot of people that have coached athletic teams know about halfway through the season, you need to spend some time and go back and focus on refocus on those fundamentals. So we spend the front end of the season developing and honing fundamentals, and then we tend to get into more of the, the game planning and those kinds of things. Um, and over time, fundamentals, even with great athletes, even with great teachers, those things can just deteriorate a little bit. And I think bringing that renewed focus at a time like February to sharpen people back up is really valuable. Yeah. And one thing we know from research uh, is great principles without exception have faculty meetings teachers look forward to and value. And average principles either don't have faculty meetings or people don't look forward to and value them. And that's a pretty quick self-check. But the thing that I always say is um, the minimum goal of every faculty meeting is I need teachers to be more excited about teaching tomorrow than they were today. But I don't do it by YouTube, clip, YouTube clips. And you can't do it by cupcakes. And I like frosting. You do it by teaching them something specific they, they could implement in their classroom the next day to be more successful. There's nothing more motivating than knowledge that you can implement. Nothing more motivating than that. And my central office friends, I teach them. Every meeting you have with principals, your minimum goal is to have principals be more excited about principal than tomorrow than they were today. We can't suck the life out of people because our jobs are hard. They're really hard. And so, and the minimum goal of every meeting at central office is I want, I've got to teach them something that they can do that will make them more successful. And if we can't do that, we're really doing a disservice to the people that we're supervising is the loose word. I don't mean it in a, in a, in a dictatorial way, but we're doing a disservice to people. Todd, I love that. And, and I, I want listeners to really latch on to that, that when we grow, right, that's the reward. And it's nice to have jeans day or donuts in the morning or what, you know, those things are nice. But if I can help you grow and become better at the craft that you come in every day to do, that's, that's where the magic is. And that's where the power is. And, and if, if assistant principals would keep that foremost, if I can help you grow, that is the gift. If I can support that. One of the things I always share is that leadership's not an event. And there's nothing wrong with events, but that's just not going to sustain anything. Great. I don't care if we have donuts day. I, I don't care. And if people like it, I don't want to take that away because that's whatever. And there's nothing wrong. There's no negative to that. But people quit their, teachers quit their jobs for two reasons. They don't like their boss and they can't manage their classroom. And just think if their boss could help them manage their classroom then for sure they like their boss and they can manage their classroom. And, and that's what we have to focus on. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with the gene states. There, there's nothing wrong one way or the other, but there's also nothing wrong with not having them. Right. Because that's never going to be a substantial thing one way or the other. There's nothing wrong with not having donuts and there's nothing wrong with having donuts. That's not going to be a deal breaker. There's something wrong with not supporting teachers, with teachers not feeling supported. That's the deal breaker, if that makes any sense. And Jean's Day, what will happen is it's easier to complain about Jean's Day than it is to complain that my principal doesn't support me in terms of student behavior. 
And so we, we tend to focus on little tiny things that are almost insignificant. And sometimes they just represent something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I promise if I don't support you, Jean's month isn't going to mean anything. <laughs> no pants Wednesday isn't going to get anything. I mean, I'm just, so it's, it's really, really important. And, and it's true. Teachers want to be supported, but they have to feel supported. If they don't feel supported, then they don't, to them, they're not supported. Yeah. And that's part of the role of the assistant principal too. Todd, the more I learn, the more I come to believe that leadership is simple, simpler than we make it. But that said, it's still very, very hard. So what's one thing that we haven't covered today that leaders can do to make their lives a little bit easier? I always say it's simple. It's just not always easy. Mm-hmm. But everything is simple. If you're doing something complicated, you're almost always doing it wrong. What do they say in politics? If you're explaining, you're losing. <laughs> you know, um, think about a simple thing. Making a decision to go in classrooms on a daily basis. But I don't, if, if you start now, there's nothing wrong with starting now. But if I, if I was going to do it now, and it's, it's, it's March 1st, but if I was going to do it in the middle of February, do you know what I'd tell the teachers? I have a new Valentine's Day resolution. I have a President's Day resolution, a Flag Day resolution, or whatever. I have, a, I have a Valentine's Day resolution. I hear so many wonderful things about the teachers in the school from the students that I'm jealous of the students being able to come into your classroom. And so my Valentine's Day resolution is I'm going to start coming in classrooms on a regular basis. And then, then I start. And I want you to think about this. The first reason I have to be in classrooms on a regular basis is I have to teach my teachers how we treat the students. Because if I lay out an expectation, we don't argue, we don't yell, we don't use sarcasm, they need to see how I deal with kids in all situations where I don't argue, I don't yell, and I don't use sarcasm. Because it isn't just a belief system, it's also an action, or not an action, it depends on how you look at that. Um, and they got to hear that I call the, I say please and thank you, that I say ladies and gentlemen, that I don't raise my voice, and somehow or another, I still am able to get the students to do what it is I want them to do. They need to see that. The other reason I'm in classrooms on a regular basis is because good people like it and bad people don't. Good teachers want you in their room. Bad teachers don't want you in your room. Unless you're no good, then good teachers don't want you in your room either as a principal. And, and when I go in the room, now I can compliment you. Now I can stroke you. Now I can value you. Now I can make you feel important. Now I can talk about things I've seen in classrooms in the Friday Focus, using names or not using names. Um, and I'm so much more specific. I can also defend my teachers more because I'm in classrooms. Right. Okay. As we wrap up, I have two questions for you. And the first is, what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? Everything. <laughs> I try to get better at everything. I, I really do. I try to get better at everything. One of the biggest blessings of me going around and speaking, and I love to glad hand the audience, and especially pre-pandemic, I would glad hand the audience because I'm looking for the smartest people in the room because they've always figured out things I'm never going to be smart enough to figure out, but I can steal them. And great people are willing to share because they see the world as an unlimited sum game because the great people always know there's more where that came from. And so it's just new approaches, new techniques, new ideas. The other thing is my favorite thing in presenting, believe it or not, is question and answer. Mm. Because it's interesting. If I have a day with a group and I do question and answer, at the end of the day, they can answer every question they ask. They just didn't realize it. 
because you know it's like when I talk about shifting the monkey and I always talk about where who's most comfortable who's least comfortable they ask me a question and I go okay in this situation who's most comfortable and who's least comfortable and they're going well I'm least comfortable and I go who should be least comfortable they go the person who's misbehaving I go right so let's think through what were some of the things we talked about so it, it's really that if it makes any sense um uh I mean, I make, I, there's tons of stuff I don't know. I do stuff wrong all the time, but it's, it's, it's having the chance to share that and realize that they feel like that's helpful, that that's new knowledge or information. Um, so I try to improve everything about my leadership style, okay. uh, everything about I, I, everything I do, because there's, you know, I still, I have three children. I have grandchildren. I, I got lots to continue to, uh, I, my wife and I've been married for 36 years and she says it's been 17 of the happiest years of her life. So I got 19 years worth of work. <laughs> um, so, so I think it's kind of everything and it's modeling it every day, all the time in every situation. When it, it goes back to how we started this, that leadership is a journey. Right. And true. the great thing is you're always growing. And the other great thing is every day you have the opportunity to show up and to a certain extent, it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. Every day is that new opportunity. Right. Well, you know, what's interesting is when a student misbehaves, great teachers want it, want it not to have, all they want is prevention. When a poor teacher and a kid misbehaves, they want revenge. Mm -hmm. And it really is. If you think about it, great teachers are always looking out the windshield. Ineffective people always look out the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. So every day really is a new day because I get to change the way I do it, do it in a different way. Maybe I get to practice what worked yesterday to see if it was fluke or if it really is something I did yesterday. Yeah. If you're looking through the front window, if you right. look through the back window, nothing changes. Right, exactly right. <laughs> and which one's bigger though? The front, the windshield's a lot bigger than the rearview mirror. Yes. Um, but it's focusing on, and you know, even when I deal with challenging parents, one of the first things I do is called focus on the future because they disagree about a decision I make you know, there's something, we, you know, I work through it, I try, but they're, they're going to disagree, but I focus on the future. What can we do so this doesn't happen again? What can we do so we get a different outcome in the future? What can we do so your child chooses a different path? What can we do so that I handle it different? You know, whatever it is, we both agree on the future. Yeah. And that's so important. And, and ineffective people focus on revenge all the time. Yes. I read the definition of retribution is legal revenge. And we see that, right? Right. I want, I... Yeah, I want this student suspended. If listeners could take just one thing away from today's show, what would that be? Well, uh, probably the one thing is I don't like one thing questions, but because um, there is no one thing. But if there is one thing, it's this. Make every decision based on your best people and you'll never make a wrong decision. Mm -hmm. Todd, thanks so much. My this pleasure. Great. Joy for me. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, from the posters at the post office. Or uh, my website's toddwhitaker.com. I don't have any people. It's just me. Or on Twitter, I'm at Todd Whitaker. Um, I also hear from people literally daily because our jobs are lonely and I don't want you to be lonely. You know, it's funny. I, teachers, I always say teaching is the most isolated profession and you're never alone. Leadership, you're never alone, but you're lonely. Can yes. be. And if you ever, if I can ever do anything, just you want to visit, just chat, call me or email me anytime you want to. That's, that's, that's what I, I love to do. This, this is my life is trying to have a positive impact on life. And yes. that's really what I try to do. doesn't mean I do it, believe me, but I try every day. I try every day to have that impact. Well, 
it's been great. You've had an impact on me today. I really appreciate the conversation. And I know listeners are going to take so much away. Uh, we'll go back and recap some of the uh, some of the highlights here in a few minutes. But this has just been wonderful. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's a treat. And thank you all, all the listeners, for what you do to make a difference every day in your schools and in your communities. It's it's a incredible gift that you give each day. Thank you. All right. That is a wrap. Sometimes I feel like I say this every week, but this is yet another episode that would be good to listen to twice. Todd is one of those authors whose books you'll see in almost every principal's office. So it was especially exciting and affirming to hear Todd talk about the four principles of strategic leadership, even though the language was a bit different. Before we end, I'll just recap a couple of things. The biggest theme that came through today is that Great leaders support and grow their people. Another big theme was that changing behavior doesn't solve the problem. And I take this to mean that if we stop treating symptoms and get people the skills they need, then the problem, the real problem will be resolved. Todd also said, there's nothing more motivating than knowledge you can implement better than Jean's day and even donuts day, which would be my favorite, even more powerful than that is helping people grow at the craft that they have dedicated their lives to. Finally, when I asked Todd about how to make our lives easier as school leaders, he said this, go into classrooms on a daily basis. Okay. So what do you do with what you've heard today? I suggest two things. First, Monitor your complexity. As Todd said, if you're making it complicated, you are doing it wrong. So monitor what you do and especially what you plan to do. Are your plans simple or are they complex? Secondly, be a lighthouse this week by finding the positive and sharing what you find. See and share the best in others and remember, while you're doing this, that specific positive feedback is more powerful than general praise. Yes, the teacher taught a great lesson, but what specifically did the teacher do that made it great? Please consider forwarding this show link to a colleague and say, you've got to listen to this and then we can have a conversation about it. Remember that I love hearing from you and you can share with me by emailing me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com. You can find out more about what I'm doing to support assistant principals and other school leaders at frederickbuskey.com. Thank you for including me on your leadership journey. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Cheers. <music>